you got a Bible, grab it, Exodus chapter 37. There's only 40 chapters in Exodus, so we're coming near the end. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you could Google Exodus 37. We won't be spending a ton of time in Exodus, so don't worry about it if you don't get there before I start to read it. Uh, but this is an interesting passage this morning. Um, as you read it, you might ex- start to experience some deja vu. Uh, you know, deja vu. Raise your hand if you've had multiple episodes of deja vu in your life. Okay, you're my people. Okay, I have deja vu all the time. And if, if you're like a, if you understand how this works, come talk to me. Because I don't fully understand deja vu. But it's like, I've experienced this before. I've done this before. And I found out today, actually, there's two other words, deja and tandu, which means I already heard that. So we're going to see that today. I, I thought I already heard that in déjà vu, which is I already read. So déjà vu actually means I've already seen this. Déjà vu, I've already read this. So you're going to read this and you're going to be like, I feel like I've read this before. And this is sort of the interesting thing when you're preaching through the book of Exodus. Um, there is a lot of repetition. And so almost verbatim, we've got about two and a half chapters here that we've already read and Ben Thompson already did a fantastic job preaching on these passages. And so it's like, do I just re-preach that? Or do I just say, go listen to what Ben had to say, explaining the elements of the tabernacle. Do I do that? Do I re-preach it? Because we know a lot of people don't always watch every sermon. What do I do? So I'm not going to do that today. You'll see as I go, what I think is something really special about the literary structure of this repeating almost verbatim what we saw just 10 chapters before. So it's like deja vu. I feel like I've been here before. I feel like I've read this before. I feel like I've seen these words before. What's that tell us about how to live life in God? So let me just read. I'm not going to read all chapter 37 and 38, which is the text I'm responsible for today. I'm just going to read a little bit, and you'll see it's going to be so obvious how to apply this to your life That I'm basically just going to read it, pray, and then you can go apply it to your life, okay? So ready to go. Here we go. Exodus 37. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half was its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside. And he made a molding of gold around it. And he cast for it four rings of gold for its four feet. Two rings on one side and two rings on the other side. And he made poles of acacia wood, and he overlaid them with gold, and he put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half was its full length, a cubit and a half its breadth. He made two cherubim of gold, these are like winged creatures, angelic creatures that sit on the ark. He made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat, one cherubim on one end and one cherubim on the other end. Of one piece of the mercy seat, he made the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces one to another toward the mercy seat were the the faces of the cherubim. He also made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold, made a molding of gold around it, and he made a rim around it a handbreadths wide. And he made a molding of gold around the rim. He cast for it four rings of gold and fastened the rings to the four corners as its four legs. 
Close to the frame were the rings as the holders of the poles to carry the table. He made the poles of acacia wood to carry the table and overlaid them with gold, and he made the vessels of pure gold that were to be, made, to be on the table, its plates, its dishes for the incense, and its bowls and flagons were with which to pour drink offerings. And then we could go on. And then they made the lampstand. And then they made the altar of incense. And then they made the altar of burnt offering. And then they made the bronze basin. And then they make the court in the middle of the tabernacle. And then it goes on. Then they make the priestly garments. So actually, what we see here, simple to apply, right? You guys ready to pray and go? Well, clearly, I know what to do with my life now. I need to get some wood, acacia wood, and i got to get some gold and overlay it. And everything's got to be able to be carried because we're a moving people, and so we've got to be able to move it and carry it along with us. No, obviously, <laughs> we've got to do some work. What in the world can we do with this now and understand what's going on? Now, here's, here's what I want to remind you of. This is actually part two of what we started last week, which is making ends meet. Remember, we've been talking about this God who moves the people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, and he's moving them into freedom and worship in his presence as his God and his people for the glory of God and their good and the blessing of all nations. Those are the two ends. But we said last week, how do those ends meet? How does that plan get completed? All the things that God is doing through the people of Israel. We said last week, it starts with them contributing to the project of God, which is to build this tabernacle or tent. And then this week, we'll see them actually do the building. So it's really part two of making ends meet. Part one was about the people's hearts being stirred their spirits were moved, the text said last week. They were overflowing with generosity, and they got to invest their hearts and their hands in the project of God. You say, well, I thought we were talking about they were investing their money and treasures. Well, yeah, that's their heart. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, show me where your money is and how you spend your money, and there your heart is also. You want to know where somebody's heart is? Look at how they spend their money. So they invested their hearts last week because they gave a contribution to the building of the tabernacle. Then you see them this week, they're investing their hands, they're using their unique talents and skills and artistry to build the tabernacle as the ends of God's plan meet. So quick, just like plug for all you artists, craftsmen out there, if you want to use your artistry to serve God, we have a little bit more like freedom in this space now because we're not sharing it in the same way we once were. We'd love to put up some art installations. We have lots of walls that we could do things with. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, come talk to me. We'd love to dream together about how we might make this place even more worshipful and a celebration of God and his creativity. But that was part one. Our heart is stirred, our hands are stirred, and then we move into part two today, which is actually doing what God has said to do. We've given to it, but now we have to do it. So last week we said partnering with God, there's great joy in that. 
and the people were able to invest in bringing the presence of God into their midst in the same way that Moses, their leader, had already experienced God's presence. So now they too could be near to God. They understood that. They could experience his presence, which is peace and illumination and being transformed into the fullness of who God created them to be. So they wanted to participate like Moses had in that, and they contributed to that project so that God could move into the center of the campground so that everybody could have access to God's presence. Now, that's good. Having the presence of God in their midst was good. But one of the things I want to show you today is that that's not all that is needed to make ends meet. Because remember, turn with me back to chapter 33. Moses is the first to experience the full promises of God, right? We see Moses, remember when his face is radiant and shining because he's actually got to meet with God face to face and he has to put a veil over his face because the glory that has been transferred to him is just too great for the people. So um, in 33, we actually see a fuller picture of what Moses asked for. He didn't just ask for God to move in and his presence to be near. He asked for something else. So first, let's read 33, 16. It says this, For how shall it be known, this is Moses talking to God, For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us, God, so that we are distinct, I and your people? From every other people on the face of the earth. So Moses is saying, God, the thing that makes us unique is that, our God, that you, the one true God, dwells with us and is near to us. Remember, this is at a time when God, they've just rebelled against God. They've just worshipped the golden calf and tried to do things their own way rather than waiting patiently on God. And, and God's like, I don't know about, I don't know. I don't know if I can handle this. And, and, he, and he stays far from the people. Moses says, but this is why we're distinct, that your presence is with us. So drop down to verse 18. Moses said, please, God, show me your glory. And it's right after this that God does. He hides Moses in a cleft of a rock and says, I'm going I'm to pass by you, and I'm going to cover it with my hands so that I don't kill you because my, my full glory is too much for you right now. I'm going to pass by you, and you get to, to kind of see, see my back and see my full glory. It's one of the most amazing passages of all Scripture. Moses gets to experience this. So he says, one, show me your glory. But he actually asked something else earlier in chapter 33. So go up to verse 13. Moses had asked this of God. If, God, I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order that I might find favor in your sight. So if I found favor, show me your ways. Show me your ways. So we have this sort of dual nature to what it means to be transformed and be the distinct people of God. The first thing is that we experience God's presence. But there's a second thing. What does this teach us? For all people to experience what their leader Moses had experienced... It's not enough that God simply comes near to them and dwells in their presence. But also that God shows them, his people, his ways. And that they then do what he has shown them. Does it, you remember at the end of last week, we talked about Jesus giving the great commission to his disciples before his ascension. 
This is the great charge that he gives. This is how God is going to bring his kingdom in full to every nation, not just making ends meet for Israel, but making ends meet for all creation. What is his plan? Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples in every nation. How? One, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is to say, it's not just the ritual of baptism. The ritual of baptism actually symbolizes the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is what? When the presence of God comes and dwells with you in your heart. So what they're saying is, God, Jesus is saying, usher in the presence of the Holy Spirit into the lives of people from every nation. So it's number one. It's a presence. And then the second is he says, teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. Everything that I've commanded you. Which is what? Show them my ways. So we have the exact same two parts of what it means to transform the world, that God's presence would move in, and that God would show us his ways and we would do his ways. So you could call this the, the formative presence and the formative instruction of Jesus Christ to the nations. This is how trans transformation happens for the people of God. What the Bible says, from one degree of glory to another, we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, as we become full image bearers of God. Remember what I said last week. What, what is the church? What are you contributing to? If you're contributing to Sedaris Church, you're, you're contributing to a training program for many tabernacles so that you then take the presence of God with you, the teaching of God, God's ways with you. That's what you are investing in. That's what the church is so that we've got tents that are lit up all over the world. transformation from one degree of glory to the next through formative presence, but also through formative instruction and teaching about God's ways. Both are important. Now, by the way, if you've ever wondered, like, how do we choose to do the things that we do on, in a Sunday morning worship gathering? Like, why do we do these things and not other things? Well, maybe you understand it now. You see two things happening. Through, through singing with the saints, because each of you that knows and trusts in Jesus Christ, has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So in a special way, where two or more are gathered, the presence of God is here in a special way. And so when you sing praises to him, it's not only that God is here, but he's also with each and every one of us. And so when you hear your neighbors singing out loud, which is a little bit easier to do now without mass, which is exciting, so sing loud. People can experience the presence of God. Then through communion, which we do every week, the Lord's Supper, which symbolizes the body of Christ and the blood of Christ as a spiritual way of ushering the presence of Christ into our life. We, and we, we have to do this. Every week we do this. So it's sort of like the formative presence of God. But then there's also the formative instruction of God, which is what we're doing right now. We're teaching the Word of God. This is why we teach this. This is why even when it's a funny passage about acacia wood and gold-covering boxes and tables, we read the Word of God. We teach the Word of God because we are taking God's Word and teaching them because that's formative instruction as we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, which is how God's plan is fulfilled. As you become a mini tabernacle that sheds much light in your neighborhood, in your family, in your friend group, 
amongst your co-workers because you've been in his presence and you're being instructed in his ways. Just like Moses was, then just like the people of Israel were once the tabernacle moved into the center, and just like we are now as members of Jesus Christ's church, his ecclesia. Okay? So what does this have to do with chapter 37 and 38? Great question. Great question. Remember what we said about deja vu. Remember what we said about the repetition of almost exactly, you could go read it, verbatim, word for, why do you got to write it twice? Why don't you just say, Moses wrote this, why don't you just say, remember what I said in chapters 25 to 30. Go back and read that. We did that. I think there's something profound here in the literary structure. What is it teaching us? Well, chapters 25 to 30 are about God giving words of direction to Moses and Israel hearing those words. Okay? Then, chapters 32 to 34 are about what? Do you remember? Israel rustling and struggling to believe the truth of those words. It doesn't happen right away. They turn aside and they do things their own way. They worship their own way. They struggle to believe, but eventually they get there through some repentance. Oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Okay, God, I trust you. I believe in you. I believe in your word. And then you get 36 and 39, which is them doing the exact words that God spoke to them to do. This is the life of every Christian. We hear the word of God, we wrestle and struggle to truly believe it, but when we do, we then do the word of God. This is what changes you. This is what distinguishes you. This is what makes you people of God. That you hear it, that you believe it, no matter how long that takes you to believe. But you eventually believe it and trust it in order that you might do it. But if you never do the word, if we never had chapters 36 to 39, the people would fall short of being transformed and become the people of God. You must do the word to be a part of the people of God and to be changed into the likeness of Jesus. Okay? So, I'm not going to go through all of chapter 25 through 30. I just got a picture of it here. Okay, throw that up here, Daniel. Can we see it here? Okay. So this is God's instruction of what the tabernacle was supposed to look like. He gave him the blueprints. He said, build this. And that's why we have so much detail. God cares about so much detail, doesn't he? You're like, there's a lot of detail. Why don't you just say, give me a table, give me a lamp, give me a, give me a box of wood. <laughs> he says, no, I want exactly, God has exact plans for your life. He has detailed plans for your life. He cares about every hair on your head, the Bible says. He cares about every tiny detail, and he does about his house, too. He says, I'm going to camp with you. This is how I want you to make it. So this is the instruction God gave him. Now, here, now, what is the actual build? That's the actual build. Notice any differences? Nope, there's no differences. I copy and paste it. That's the exact same picture, <laughs> literally the exact same picture, God's instruction, actual build. How does the divine life move into your life? When you build your life on his perfect word. 
down to the tiniest detail. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Every letter, he said, every iota, which is every punctuation, I came to fulfill the perfect word of God. So when you want divine life to move in, when you want to become the best mini tabernacle that gives God glory, when you want to be transformed from one degree of glory to another, you need to follow God's word down to the tiniest detail, just like Israel did. That's why Moses takes so much ink to repeat the exact words. Like ink and, and, and parchment paper or scrolls that they wrote on, this wasn't cheap. And yet he took the time to rewrite every single part of the instruction to show them that the people of God finally got it. They heard the word, they believed the word, and so they did the word down to the smallest detail. If you want this, to live out this pattern in your own life, it will only happen if you're hearing the word often. Often. Not just once, but over and over and over again. And if you are wrestling to understand it and believe it in community. And that has to be consistently. Otherwise, you will fall short of doing the word. Now you say, man, that seems sort of boring, <laughs> ordinary, mundane. Exactly. The life of the Christian is not just about mountaintop moments and God parting the Red Sea, huge events and moves of the Holy Spirit. That can and does happen. But you know what most of life is? Mundane, ordinary, repeating, hearing, doing, rinse, repeat, Rinse, repeat, hear, believe, do, over and over and over again, every day of your life. That's where glory actually lies. Anybody can have a mountaintop moment. But how many people can live a God-glorifying, beautiful life, day in, day out, over and over? So if you live this way, you have a deja vu life. You read the Bible, you're like, I read that somewhere else. Maybe you're having a lot of epiphanies going through the book of Exodus like I have. That's where that comes from? I didn't know it started all the way back here. I remember reading it in the New Testament. There's a lot of repetition in the Bible because what? God's word never changes. There's nothing new under the sun. He's the same today as he was yesterday, and he will be tomorrow. Like there is a deja vu nature to the Christian life. I've done this before. I've heard this before. You might have been coming to Sedaris for a while. You're like, Dave preaches the same sermon every week. Praise be to God. <laughs> if I start preaching a different sermon, you're like, I've never heard that gospel. That's interesting. I should tell my friends about this. Run away. Like you should hear the same thing over and over and again because it's the same God who sent his only son to die for our sin on that cross, who rose from the dead, now gives resurrection life to all of us through the Spirit. It's the same message. It's a deja vu life. The question is, are you going to hear it, believe it, and then do it? And if you do, you'll be transformed. Now, I'm not the only one to ever say this. Turn with me, if you've got your Bible, or we're going to throw it up on the screen, to James. This is the very end of the New Testament, so this is after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and after the giving of the Great Commission, guess who wrote the book of James? 
or the letter, it's a letter. His half-brother. Why do we call him a half-brother? Because Jesus didn't have the same dad as James. Say mom, Mary, but guess who is Jesus' dad? Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. His father is our Heavenly Father. So they always call him his half-brother. But he grew up with him. James grew up with Jesus. Okay, just like a side apologetic note. Like how, what do you have to do to convince your half-brother, or really your, your full brother, that you are the Son of God, worthy of all worship and praise, to the point where James would give his life defending that his brother was God's son and not his dad, Joseph's son. Like, what would have to happen for James to, like, this is crazy. You know what would have to happen? James would have to watch his brother die, and then he'd have to see his brother again, alive, several days later. That's what would have to happen. So this is James. This is what he wrote. Can you throw it up there for me? He wrote this. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The half-brother of Jesus saying, follow my brother's way. His way leads to life. Don't just be hearers of this law of Christ. Be doers of this law of Christ. And you will be blessed. Now, what does this look like? Well, apply this to last week's sermon about generosity, about this idea of contributing in God's projects. Listen, everyone loves to hear about generosity. Everyone get amen. I mean, you, you don't have to be in church to do this. You just talk about generosity to anyone in the world, and they're pretty much going to say, I'm for generosity. Not a lot of people are like, generosity. Boo. You know, like, everyone's like, yay, generosity. They love to hear about generosity. Right? You guys know what I'm saying? We <laughs> love to hear about generosity. But the law of Christ says, no, don't just be hearers. Don't just like the idea of it. Actually do it. Actually be generous. Actually give and sacrifice for other people your money, your things, your time, your talents. Don't just be hearers, be doers. And if you do, 
you learn in every area of your life to hear the word of God, to, to fight to believe it, that this is God speaking to you, and then you do it, James says, you will be blessed. Blessed. Okay, so is this a prosperity gospel here, Dave? Finally, the cards are out. <laughs> no, 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 no. Everyone knows here. No prosperity gospel here. No prosperity here at Sedaris. Okay, so what is James saying? What does blessed mean? Is it financial blessing? Like if you do the word, then God will bless you financially or he'll bless you relationally or he'll, bless, he'll give you more answered prayers than the average guy if you do the word? No. Maybe those things will happen, but correlation doesn't mean causation. What does blessed mean? It means that you get to become more like God, who is Jesus in the flesh. So, blessed is the one who gets to be like me, Jesus says. That's what it means to be blessed, to get to be like Jesus. And for all you, know, for all you that know about Jesus' life, what's that mean? It might be hard. It could be really, really hard. It might even mean that you get persecuted like Jesus was. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Throw up Matthew 5 here. This is what Jesus says. Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is Jesus speaking. Rejoice. <laughs> what? Be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What is James talking about? When you doers of the word, not just hearers, you'll be blessed because you get to be like Jesus. And that might mean persecution. And when you get persecuted, rejoice because now you really know that you're being like Jesus. Dang. I'm going to go to another church where they tell me blessed means financial reward, job promotion, <laughs> marital bliss, etc., etc. No. You get to be like Jesus. And if you don't that's the way we teach here. Like the way we teach, like what way should I follow? The way that our entire job is to make you like Jesus. That's all we care about. What did Jesus do? He heard the voice of his father. He believed and trusted the voice of his father. And then he did exactly the father's will. Each and every time. Therefore, living the perfect life, the sinless life, which made him a perfect sacrifice for our sin. You want to be like that? You want to be like Jesus and be able to bring eternal life to people that you rub shoulders with? Then sign up to stay here. This is the way that we teach. This is the way of Jesus. But it's hard, Dave. Yes, of course. If it were easy, everybody would do it. It's hard, which is why you need helpers. You need helpers. You need peers. You need other people that are doing the Jesus way too. You need people, you need pastors, you need cohort leaders. You need brothers and sisters in the faith who are committed to come alongside you and help you do what? Do the word. Not just hear it. They'll help you with that too. Not just believe it, they'll help you with that too, but they'll help you do the word. And how do, you get, how do you get help doing the word? You need challenge, you need rebuke, and you need correction. 
You say, those, again, those aren't fun. No, no one enjoys these things. Literally, no one enjoys being rebuked. <laughs> I get, ask anybody who has kids. It begins early in life. <laughs> okay, my son Grayson, literally, his two-year-old brother, he's six, two-year-old brother's on the ground, and they were having fun, and then Grayson decides, you know what, he throws up the people's eyebrow, and he's like, ah, a chance, and he drops the people's foot right on the spinal cord of my two-year-old son, Owen. Owen's okay, because he's built like a tank, but anybody else would have snapped in half. And so, guess what happened? Rebuke, <laughs> correction, and Grayson didn't like it. Literally, I mean, for over half an hour, he was dry heaving because we were telling him he had to say sorry. He didn't have to do anything or he didn't lose anything. He just literally had to say the words, sorry, and he couldn't do it. And he, was, he literally was almost throwing up because it was so devastating to his soul. What's going on in there? At birth, we're fallen. Sin nature absorbs us, and sin nature hates to be rebuked and corrected. No one's natural drift is towards obedience and discipline. Their natural drift is towards liberty and licentiousness and doing whatever makes them feel good. But if you want to be like Jesus and do the word, you're going to need to invite some people in your life to rebuke, correct, and challenge you. Because to be the distinct people of God means to hear the word, but not just hear, you must do the word. So we need each other. We need help. You need a few good friends in the community to, to be the friends that can help you and you can invite them to, to correct you. So, as I said before, it's not just in the doing, it's also in the hearing. I mean, think about the tabernacle being built. There's some that probably forgot, like, oh my gosh, how many cubits <laughs> long was that ark supposed to be? And they'd go to a friend, they'd say, yes, yes, two cubits. Okay, thanks, thanks, right, right. Then you also need help in believing. Like, are you sure God wants everything covered in gold? Like, we could mix it up here, we could have some silver, why so much gold? <laughs> no, God said that, Frank. God said it. <laughs> Believe it, Frank. Make it in gold. Okay, so we need help hearing, we need help believing, and then, as I just said, we need help in doing. Let's not cut corners here, guys. Let's do it the right way, down to the, the finest detail. And when we do, when we hear and believe and we help each other do that, we become a distinct people, a people of wisdom. God's word builds us up into this new people, full of wisdom, full of truth, who are truly blessed, truly blessed, so that we can then be a blessing to those around us. Just like Israel. Israel was blessed to be a blessing. Like, if you read the book of Genesis, that, that was God's call. I'm going to choose you and bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the other nations. That's the ends that God has designed. It's not just about Israel getting to have the presence. 
It's about God's presence making its way to the ends of the earth. That's the end God designed when he chose Israel, when he rescued Israel, when he dwelt with Israel. And that's the end that he's designed for you. When he chose you, when he rescued you, when he sent his spirit to dwell within you, that was the end he had in mind. So hear the word. Believe the word. Russell to believe, truly believe the word. And then do the word. And be transformed. So that you might be an eternal blessing in someone else's life.